Eugene Shepherd on Tuesday, June 6, 
so you know why this about the sheep or the beard or the beard. Oh, your love belongs to me. At night, when you're asleep, into your tent I'll creep. <laughs> the stars above will shine. Things that tell you. you have to get agents and all that stuff. But everybody secretly wants to be famous. Do you agree with that? 
I, I, I really do. I, I, and you realize that I've got the medium to make you famous. I, I'm, I'm, I'm right here. I'm in, I'm in control. I got this thing here. See, and uh, there's this little thing here with buttons all over here. Yeah, yeah, that makes dinging noises. Look, I just tap this with my finger. Look at this power. Listen. They're hearing me tap on a thing with my finger over 35 states. Friends, that's power. That's real power. That ain't the uh, mythical power. That's real power. Watch. They're hearing that in Nova Scotia. Hi, <laughs> Nova. How are you? Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, you're all right. I'll put up with you. See, and uh, 35 states. Now, I have it within my power to put your name on a map. That's right. Every night I could I could have a salute to Charles Grubbage, 1422 Ashby Street, <laughs> Malvern, Long Island. <laughs> An unsung hero of our time. We should be, you know, given his right place in the sun. And I've got the power to do it. And now the thing is, we have to decide who's... We can't, if fame is given to everybody, fame is meaningless. Do you agree with this? You know, it's just the same thing as, uh, you know, the old, uh, the old argument about the tree in the forest. You know, if the tree falls, can you hear it? If everybody's famous, is anybody famous? No, that's right. Absolutely right. So maybe just as well you stay in your anonymity. Stay in your basic... Hey, what's going on in there? What's all that music that's playing in there? I hear a lot of stuff going on in there. Is that the... Somebody... You hear that music? Oh, I see. Yeah, I see. Okay, I see. Somebody forgot to turn the music off in the sales department's office, I see. They don't listen to us, they listen to music. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm... I'm walking around here thinking about fame and I'm thinking well how are we going to decide I, I, I feel tonight I feel I feel munificent I feel I really do I feel the milk of human kindness is spring you know and the milk of human kindness is flowing like a vast immensely fecund river from me tonight I I you know I'm thinking about I, I'm thinking of taking a bus out and going to that cordial festival they're having out there and then afterwards attend the other one saying you know just sit there and do it all and uh, would you like to be famous tonight? Anybody who would like to be famous tonight, get in touch with us. Oh, well. Uh, yes. I see. Well, he, uh, I see. There's a guy out in Floral Park, Queens, wants to be famous. Well, anyone who lives in Floral Park, Queens, I can understand why he wants to be famous. There's not much else to aim for out there. So, uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll think about it. No, don't, don't keep holding it up, honey. I'm not just going to pop off with anybody's name. I'm going to pick very carefully who I make famous. To begin with, it has to be somebody who will accept fame graciously. I don't want anybody, you know, just because the minute he gets famous, starts running around and yelling and, you know, gets himself a fancy suit and one of them vinyl vests and he gets himself a Mercedes and then pretends like I didn't have anything to do with his career, you know. And I know what's going to happen. Within 20 minutes, that son of a gun's going to be on the Johnny Carson show, and Carson's going to ask him if he ever, ever heard of Shepard. He says, Shepard, who is that a hillbilly singer? And, uh, you know, I know what's going to go. So I, I have to make my decision as to who's going to be famous very carefully here, because I don't want to create the monster. And, uh, oh, that reminds me, this is WOR, New York, and uh, we have a, a little thing here. Would you please hit the button, please? 
No, no, that's not the one. That's not T.A.P., please. <laughs> that might be a great commercial for Portugal. <laughs> oh, man. If you want to meet the kids of Portugal, gang, <laughs> take your vacation in Portugal. I think the kids of Italy, every place are there. They're, this, no, all kidding aside. Uh, Portugal is the country where almost every European ultimately goes to take his vacation. And then they have the beaches and everything to go with it. So if you're a kid type and you want to do something groovy this summer, something really unusual, $210 will buy you a round-trip economy airfare to Portugal. Now, you got to be under 26 and over 12. So get your get your kid mask and your, your fake afro and go down there, you know, with your guitar and maybe you can swing it. And in Portugal, you'll meet Italian, European kids of all types in the wine country everywhere. They're all over Portugal this year. So in Portugal, by the way, the prices are fantastically low, and the food is great, and the people move real good. So call your travel agent or TAP at 421 That's a 421-8500, and tell them Manny sent you. For complete information about TAP's $210 youth fare, to Portugal. Go where the European kids go, to Portugal. Don't forget, the cold word is Manny. Right. Oh, that's enough, that's enough. That's enough. Um, oh, yeah, hey, don't forget, uh, we had a little note here. Herb Klein, the head of the communications department of the White House, will be on John Gambling's show tomorrow, answering telephone questions about the Nixon's trip to, uh, to Moscow, so you can call him, you know. See what he says. You better write down the number because in the morning you'll be, you know, your eyes are all stuck together and there'll be little potatoes in your ears. So here's the number. It's the number here is area code 212-868-8500. That's a special number. They'll talk about it. It's tomorrow morning on uh, the Rambling with Gambling. Tomorrow morning. He comes on, uh, well, it doesn't say what time Klein is going to be on, so I presume he'll be on the whole show, huh? Okay. You mean he's getting up early this this week? <laughs> oh, no grass grows under them politicians, does it? Let's see. We got another one here. How about that Newsday dinghy? Oh, now that's a commercial. It was one of the epic dramas of our time. The bloody battle in 1948 between Jews and Arabs for the holy city of Jerusalem. Now, after five years of intensive research, a new book, O Jerusalem, reconstructs this historic confrontation minute by minute. Starting Friday, Newsday, the Long Island newspaper presents an exclusive serialization of O Jerusalem, destined to rank among the year's best-selling and most important new books. The adventure and heartbreak of the holy city under siege and in flames unfolds in the pages of Newsday in ten consecutive exciting installments. Every day in Newsday, you'll share the incredible adventures that occurred as the Jews and Arabs clashed in a struggle that still continues. You'll want to read every installment of O Jerusalem in this Newsday special bonus series, daily and Sunday in Newsday, starting Friday. Newsday, Long Island's own newspaper. Boy, that came on real big there. All those horns and all that. I thought there was a commercial for Salminio there for a minute. Phew, that was a biggie. Uh, we have one more to throw at you. Here, here it comes. There's no one else like him. And there's no one else like you. 
Me and DeLorean thinks you ought to get together. You and Jeffrey Dean. Jeffrey Dean, the most admired men's fashion designer on the current scene. Jeffrey Dean at B&B Laurie. A distinguished presentation of suits and sport coats. The ultimate in styling refinement. Exclusive in fabric luxury. Unsurpassed in tailoring magnificence. Now, Jeffrey Dean raises masculine elegance to new heights. Creates a fresh, gentlemanly look in the world's finest double knit. Clothes that merge subtlety, imagination, and taste with the flawless functioning of double knit. And Jeffrey Dean does more. Compliments this superb apparel with shirts of surpassing richness and neckwear of uncommon originality. A unique Jeffrey Dean wardrobe for the unique man. Now, at B&B Laurie's, 16 neighborhood fashion centers in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, Westchester, Long Island, and New Jersey. Gee, that's fantastic. Tell you, that's a psychedelic experience. By the way, whatever did happen to psychedelic experiences... I guess they don't have them anymore, huh? <laughs> oh, madness, madness. Oh, the, the fane is the, is, the, is the bitch goddess of existence. Terrible. Hey, you know, while we're on the subject of fame, you know, a very, very funny thing, yeah, the fame cuckoos are out there. Uh, very, very uh, little secret thing just passed the night. I have to report it to you. Yeah, it's a. Hey, well, by the way, speaking of secret things, you, you mean you didn't hear the, uh, the what happened in the airport the other day at O'Hare? I started to tell the story. Well, these three New Yorkers are sitting in the back of the cab. Well, you know, they, they every New Yorker thinks that they, he knows all about cabs. Well, boy, I'll tell you, they're sitting in the back seat of the cab, saying, you know how cab drivers drive when they go out of an airport, you know, with those big curving ramps and all that. So this guy throws that baby in gear, and he tromps on it, and he takes off like a bird. Well, he goes around a curve, his door opens, and he flies out. The cab driver falls out of the cab. <laughs> so these three guys are sitting in the back of the cab, and the cab is going like hell. So he's like mad. So one guy, they had these, you know, these plastic windows that are in between the front and the back. He got one little crack open at it, see, and he's hanging. He can't get through. So he's steering it. And the other two guys are pretending like they're rearview mirrors. They're coming up behind you, Aki. You know, look out, Fred. At the, they, they kept spinning around the airport about 19 times until finally he slammed into a intersection and he got the car stopped and he's stuck. Camp driver comes walking over, gets in and drives him off. By the way, charged a fare for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. All right, yeah. All right, I, I'll tell you. Well, oh, you want to know what just happened? A little secret thing just passed the other night. And I, I saw it in the Wall Street Journal of all places. It's uh, the last, listen, historic moment has occurred. No, and, and the great historic moments are rarely ever really recorded in their time. You know, like no guy printed a great big story about how they just signed the Magna Carta at the time the Magna Carta was signed. You know, that, I wonder whether there, was there a gay pressman on hand to ask one of the bigger barons, you know, how he liked the idea of signing this new thing? Can you imagine all these parents sitting around signing the Magna Carta and the guys hand out souvenir ballpoint pens? And, uh, you know, it says a Magna Carta signed by uh, <laughs> Attila the Hun on this day. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, uh, just the, the other day in the Wall Street Journal, there's a little piece. It says, it comes from Montreal. What hath God wrought? The words that opened the era of Morse telegraphy 128 years ago brought it to a close. They just sent the last Morse code message on the North American continent. 
I, that, that, I had no idea of that. You know what Morse, you know Morse code. They sent the last one. And the last message was sent from Batiscan, Quebec, a whistle stop on Canadian Pacific's rail line into the mineral regions of northern Quebec, sent by a railroad agent in Batiscan to the manager of the Canadian Pacific Communications. The message read, What hath God wrought? This is the last telegraph message. And he signed off. You want to know how what hath God wrought sounds in code? You want me to send it to you? Okay, I know I'm 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 a CW man. You better better be better be ready for this. I'll send it to you in Morse code. You ready? All set. Just send it for you, just to let you know what it sounds like. I could send other things to you, but of course the kids are up, and some of them might know CW, and then we'd all be in the thing, you know. <laughs> yeah. What did I just send that time? That's right. Well, you know, the thing about CW code, now I'm not sending actually Morse code what I was sending. I was sending the international Morse, which is different than the continental Morse, or telegraph code. What's that? Oh, I see. We've got a whole group of guys who want to be famous. I've noticed one interesting thing about it. Now, I don't know whether this is significant or not. Every last one of them are men, except one woman called. One woman called. And she, but, you know, just one. So, so fame, the urge, the uncontrolled, inchoate urge for fame is largely a masculine thing. I mean, you just can't imagine. It, you really can't. You just can't imagine Jane Fonda stomping around on the deck of the Pequot, you know, shaking your fist at the heavens. You just can't. That's that's Captain Ahab. Now, what, what, what was biting Captain Ahab? What, what the, you know, there's been a lot of theories about what was bugging Ahab. There is one theory, of course, that if, if Alka-Seltzer had been around at his time, that maybe he might not have had that problem. Some people say it was just a problem of the lower elementary track, which can cause a hell of a lot of problem in a guy's disposition. Just bad. You've, know, you've seen that. There's been that. Uh, there's been other problems, other suggestions that Ahab's problem was that, the, that the, they hadn't yet discovered the Listerine, and uh, he, he offended people in certain ways that made him eventually a lonely figure stomping over the quarterdeck. On the other hand, some people just simply say that he was before his time, that if he'd been alive today, he'd been a big star on uh, the American sportsman. Uh, he was obviously a fanatical fisherman. He could very well, you know, uh, he would uh, he would take Rip Torn out on a big sequence. Rip Torn and Captain Ahab go after the white whale, you know, with gun and, with gun and camera, make sure everything's okay. And, of course, that now they're changing all that. Now, have you noticed that almost every animal on TV now is getting shot with darts? You know, with the tranquilizers. I bet so, uh, can you imagine? Uh, I, I can just see this one elephant saying, to another, oh, here comes those damn guys with those darts again. I'm getting so tired of these darts. My behind is really hurting these days. 58 darts with tranquilizers in them. I'm getting side in a tire. Why don't they give us pills for a while, you know? <laughs> You've seen that. But, uh... 
Yeah, it's, uh, it's all piling. Oh, what was that? I think we got hit by lightning here. Something popped. Oh, that's exciting. I think it was a light bulb here. Don't worry about it. We're, are we still on the air? Damn it. I figured we could be off early tonight. <laughs> but, uh, you know, now that you bring up this Morse code thing, which is uh, just a... Uh, do you mind if I if I sing a little bit? I just have to clear. I get rid of the ashes. That's enough. That's enough. Hold it. Hold it. I said. Give people an inch, and you just can't stop. Uh, people are mad, insane. But uh, they took uh, you know that last message. 138 years. They sent that last message the other day. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's a, a great romantic thing, C.W. And once you learn it, you can't forget it. There's no way. Do you know code? Where'd you learn it? Well, that's right, you got a ticket, huh? What's your call? Ah. Ah, so. Very good, very good. And uh, when I was about 10, it's, it happened to me. I, I was about 10 when it got me. And I was lucky. See, if you, if you try to learn code when you're older, you have problems. Like, you know, something like that is, is always difficult. But I was only 10, see, so I didn't hardly know how to talk even. <laughs> well, you know, so, so uh, I'm uh, the first, the first, the first uh, introduction I had to code, I was in this brownie troupe. You know, we have brownies, you know. And uh, I was actually in the in the mail auxiliary to the brownie troop. I was in the wolf pack, they called it. You ever been in the wolf pack? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> with the little black, the little blue beanies with the gold on it. See, yeah, I was a Cub Scout. See, and 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 our Cub Scout troop would always meet down in the basement of this church. And, you know, it was just a church where they had it. And, and uh, I was the, the church had nothing to do with the Cub Scout troop, but they would meet in the basement there. So I got my little blue beanie on, my little gold neckerchief, the whole bit, you know. And I was a member of a wolf pack. They call them wolf packs? And you're, yeah, it's a tough crowd. I mean, you'd think they're really tough with a name like that. But, uh, you know, they averaged about two feet nine, something like that. And so we're, we're fooling around down there one night in the Cub Scouts when, uh, oh, you were in the Pueblos. Oh, that was a crack outfit. Oh, yeah, they're legendary. I mean, the Pueblos were the Cub Scout uh, version of the Rangers, the Green Berets. When you met a kid that was in the Pueblos, you knew you met a real mean Cub Scout. I mean, this guy was, you know, push-ups the whole bit. Yeah, tight knots, all of it, yeah. Well, well, the, well, the crowd I was in was in a very dilatory Cub Scout troop, really. We, <laughs> we spent most of our time trying to steal fudge, you know, that they, they left in the basement of the church. Now, we, we were, we're not dedicated. There were certain dedicated types that went on to become... Eagle Scouts and got elected, to, you know, to the city council and all that kind of stuff. But we were a, a group of guys who were destined to grow up used car buyers, which is not the same as used car sellers. And so I'm down in the basement this day when when kismet occurred, I mean, you know, the moment of Sartori, the moment of of uh, meeting your destiny. You know, it's just like can you imagine Ahab? You know, Ahab. There was a time when Ahab was a kid. You know who Ahab was, right? Well, Ahab was a kid, see, and when he first started out, he had nothing to do with fishing. You know, a lot of people don't know that there was a, you know, there was a whole life that Ahab had much before he, he went into the fishing game. That's right. He worked at a grocery store outside of Dedham, Massachusetts. 
And uh, he, he uh, yes, and he, he, he was a fairly successful grocer. In fact, uh, uh, he was a grocer for several years after he graduated from high school. Incidentally, that high school career he had didn't help his later disposition. Uh, we don't want to go into that because I'm sure there are a lot of literary people out here who might be offended on the true story of Ahab. What, what did he have in Ahab? So after he was hanging around the grocery store a while there, he, uh, he, uh, a little, little hanky-panky with somebody in the choir locally, and he had to leave town fast, gave up his grocery business, moved to, uh, I believe the town was uh, Bridgeport. He spent two years in Bridgeport selling used rowboats, which were used on the river there. And you see, gradually he was being drawn into the or orbit, the, the vortex of the sea. And ultimately, he went into literature, stomping around a quarter deck, shaking his fist at God. And, uh, you know, everybody has regrets, Ahab. Everybody has. Don't blame it on that fish. And uh, <laughs> that's, you know, that's the way it goes. And so when I'm, I'm standing down in the basement there with my Cub Scout troop, me and Schwartz and Flick and Bruner, who never went on, you know, nobody can, can predict who's going to get touched by the madness of code. They can't. You agree? We all start out the same. Look, I started out like you. I got the same glands as you have, the whole bit. Why do I walk down the street right now, even to this day, and I hear horns blowing, I hear guys air conditioning go, I can read messages in them. I really do. I hear horns constantly saying stuff to me. And I can, I'll be walking down the street, you know, with some guys who come out of the chock full of nuts. We've got a big business lunch or something, you know. And, I, and I'll come out, and, and I'll, I'll so, all of a sudden I'll hear this cab, you know, blow a horn in, in a certain raucous, uh, sometimes even obscene way. And I will, I'll find myself laughing, and I can't tell the guys I'm laughing at what the guy said on his horn. You know, it's not easy. Because most people have no sense of uh, the imagination of uh, the things that are out there in the air, you know. What, what uh, most people think those are just a bunch of beeps and squawks, right? You and I, we understand. We see the great vast romance of these sounds coming out of the night. You, you listen to me. You listen to me. You're hearing something true. So she, you're telling her that, right? So I'm standing down in the basement. Changed my whole life. Whole my, my whole life. I'm standing down in the basement with Schwartz and Fleck and Broner, and uh, one of the kids is giving a demonstration on how to tie sheep shank knots, which is exciting to watch. I, I think one day this will be a very, very, very popular spectator sport on television because we used to have competitions who could tie. You know, you tie it real fast and throw it on the ground, and the and the sheep shank knot that hits the ground first, this guy's won the knot tying contest. You remember that? You ever been in a knot tying? Wait till Rune Arledge discovers that going to be right next to the Grandmother Demolition Derby out of West Islip, you know, other great uh, sporting events of our time. So I'm watching this kid tie the sheep shank knots. And I, a, a strange kid, a kid who I have not referred to often in my narratives, because there's always a mysterious figure in your life, that, which remains ambivalent. I mean, no doubt most of you have got an ambivalent figure or two in your life, and that ambivalent figure could very well be you. However, uh, I, uh, Stanley Roper, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you who it was, it was Stanley Roper. And Roper was in the Cub Scout. He was in the pack. We used to call it the Cub Pack, right? And I was in the little blue beanie, you know, you know the whole thing, see? So we're, we're, we're fooling around down there. The word actually used was, was not quite that, but it was something like it. We were fooling around, see? So Stanley Roper comes in, and he's, he's plugging for a merit badge, like we all were. 
saying, and we were always hoping they'd come up with really great merit badges, like merit badges in fooling around, uh, you know, merit badge in killing time, merit badge in TV watching, you know, that kind of stuff. Kid that could log the most TV time and all that stuff. See, so nevertheless, uh, Stanley Roper comes in and he has got a little thing which he has built on a wooden cheese box. He's made this, see, and this. Uh, and, of course, like all Cub Scout troops, we had these yearly shows where kids would put on their displays, you know, when kids would take these green boards with knots, and they would they would put the knots all over them, bowline knots, cheap shake knots, slip knots, and all that stuff. And uh, one guy would make a, a genuine scale model cabin, uh, a scale model made out of actual logs, a model of Abraham Lincoln's cabin. That was one of the big ones one year. Oh, it was just exciting. He made it out of Lincoln logs, actually. He faked it. And uh, <laughs> Lincoln Logs. Did you ever see Lincoln Logs? I wonder what Lincoln would think of Lincoln Logs. You know, it's like, uh, you may, have you ever thought about what George Washington think of souvenir little hatchets? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you see George Washington walking into the shrafts there, and they're selling little souvenir hatchets. So what's it, what, what hath God wrought? And uh, he talked like that, you know, he, that, that was the style of the day. But today, of course, uh, we have our own style. We're going to say, hey, what, you know, what, uh, what's happening, Mac? Of course, by the year 2050, that will sound very esoteric to them, too. Uh, somewhat Rococo, a little classical. And so, uh, by the way, I saw, I talk about classical things. I saw a terrible, terrible, uh, a terrible graffiti at 23rd Street today. It said, uh, Rona Jaffe writes Norman Mailer's dialogue. That's just terrible. I, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything sacred any longer. Do you? Nothing. Least of all us. Totally unsacred. So uh, I, I, uh, I'm standing around down in the Cub Scout tank. This is a rambling dialogue, isn't it, tonight? Well, life is like that. Life is rambling. It does not have a beginning and a middle and end. Only in the movies does it have that, you know. Uh, that's why, probably why people like movies. Because their life just keeps flubbing along, you know, day after day. <laughs> you know, you figure the only person in the world that's got a script is, is uh, you know, Peter Fonda. Somebody like that, you don't. You just keep ad-libbing. And they never send you the right cues, and, you know, you read your lines bad. And, uh, you know, uh, you, know it's just, uh, you, you go down to Barney's to get an Edwardian suit, and you look lumpy in it, and, uh, you know. <laughs> so, it's a... Uh, it all begins to pile up. So I'm standing down there in the in the basement with the troop there, me and Schwartz and Flick, and Stanley Roper comes in. Nobody, not actually, frankly, nobody liked Roper. Uh, there's always one kid with very thick glasses who is an expert on everything. And Stanley Roper was our universal expert, and he was not backward in, you know, making it very clear that he was the universal expert. His favorite word was stupid, applied to all other people, you know, all the other kids. I was stupid? What do you mean? So Stanley, and it, what was so totally irritating about it was Stanley at that point was six feet two, weighed 180. So he could make the word stupid stick in the Cub Scout troop. So Stanley Roper comes in. You you thought he was going to be a little studious kid, didn't you? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. I wish life fit those little Woody Allen cliches. It isn't that way. No. Just isn't. Uh, Stanley comes in and he's got this he's got this cheese box and you know, he wooden cheese box these little things you know and he's got he's got uh, batteries on it so he's got hooked on the top of it he's got batteries with tape over it. I remember he had, the, he had the batteries taped on this thing see and it's got a it's got uh, a little key on top now I had heard 
of uh, telegraph keys. You hear about keys. Never actually seen one. And Roper brought this thing in right in the middle of the sheep shank knock demonstration. And it, he was always upstaging people like this. The kid was just in the middle of making the final tie, you know. When Roper goes, doo, 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 he blows the horn on the CW. And I turn and look at it. Something in it. Something in that sound. Something in that sound. It, it, things went through my very being. My very instinctual being. Something. Something rang something. Somewhere. Deep down inside. It. It's an inchoate thing. It's kismet. Have you ever had that moment of sartori? That moment of, of, of revelation? That moment of... It must have been like the moment when, when you know, when, when the Hillary climbs up to the top of Mount Esbeth, Everett. He looks around, and the sun, he's in the highest place in the earth, and bang, it hits him. <laughs> oh, the excitement, the charge through my very feet. All Stanley Roper went with... Doo, doo, doo. And Schwartz said, who's, who's making a whistle? I said, Schwartz. Stanley, do that again. Roper, please, do that again. And Roper, with a smirk on his face, puts his hand on the key and goes, My God, what a beautiful sound. It was the first note of CW I ever heard in my life. And from that minute on, there was no turning back. It changed my whole life. It, it, it converted me into a walking around slumping clod, into a introverted bug slumping clod. Due to the fact that once CW filters its way through your brain, you can never get rid of it. There are some sounds that are un unmistakable, that are, that are totally human, that are, that are crying out in the darkness. It's the sound of... of unseen wailing ghosts coming out of the vast E-layer, the sporadic E-layer, of time and existence and the ancient solar systems that go beyond the imagination of man. Yes, those sounds calling eternally. Boop, 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 boop. You just can't do We'll send you on top of those rocks. Circe's luring the sailors to their ultimate doom. Doop, 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 doop. Out of the vast Weep of all time of the marrow of the bones of God itself. No way. No way to escape. Stop it, you guys. Cut it out. This obscene display of emotion. And so that night, after talking to Stanley Roper and finding out how he made this thing, the next day, I took every last cent I had in the bank, all 27 cents of it, and went down to Woolworth, and I bought myself a buzzer. You know those little gray buzzers they got? I bought myself a buzzer, and the first CW thing that I ever built was made out of a buzzer and a doorbell, one of these little brass pushers you buy at the dime store, and two batteries. And it would go... Eh, 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 eh. And I'm sitting in the kitchen pressing this thing away, and I've got my I've got my Boy Scout handbook that's got the code in it, see? And I go, uh, 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 u
them for you. G. Oh, yeah, yeah. 